For our scripture reading this morning, we will be reading in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 27 to 42. If you could turn with me to Acts, chapter 5, verses 27 to 42. I'll be reading from the New International Version. So if you are able to follow along, that'd be great. Starting at verse 27. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, They were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaimed the good news that Jesus is the Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to be here this morning to have this opportunity to share with you I feel like I've heard about Snowden uh, many different times throughout my life from different people. All good things, always good things. My father was uh, born and raised in the eastern townships of Quebec. Stansted is where he was born. Uh, and even though I was born and raised in Ontario, we spent many, uh, much of my life has been spent in this province uh, with family uh, in the eastern part of the province. Uh, and I would just uh, say for me, it's a privilege always to be in Quebec. I love this place. Uh, I have a deep appreciation for, for it for both uh, the Anglophone and Francophone uh, contingencies of, of this province. And just to be here, 
uh, in, in this church is, is a great privilege for me to have the chance to share from God's word in particular. So thank you very much for uh, making space for me, for allowing me to be here. Uh, and before we launch into God's word, I just want to take a moment as well just to introduce myself a little bit more than Jordan already uh, has done. Uh, as he said, my wife uh, and I, uh, my wife's name is Sarah. We have, have been missionaries with Fellowship International for uh, just over 11 years now, been married for 12. Uh, and we were missionaries originally in Turkey. Uh, so we lived in the city of Istanbul and then uh, were involved in a creative arts ministry that, that went throughout Turkey and uh, into other parts of the Muslim world. Uh, we have two sons, uh, so Jude and Ethan. Jude is our oldest, he's seven, and he was actually born in Istanbul, Turkey. So we like to re- affectionately refer to him as our little Turk. Uh, he doesn't have Turkish citizenship, but th- that's okay. Uh, and then Ethan, our youngest, is four. Uh, he was born here in Canada, so we have a little Turk and we have a little Canuck. Those are our boys. Uh, And uh, so shortly after Sarah and I returned from Turkey in 2009, I took a position in our national office with Fellowship International with the mission to first and foremost oversee short-term missions, an area that is not just a a fad in missions, but has become a very staple and ongoing uh, component of missions to oversee and to serve our churches in that area. Uh, And that has grown to, uh, as well, for me to oversee all our candidates. So... I have the great a privilege to journey with those who are see, uh, sensing God's leading direction into long-term missions, uh, into missions on any level, so short, mid-term, long-term, to journey with them, to train them, uh, to orientate them, and then as well to, to be in, in part of the front end of that, which is to recruit and mobilize people for, for God's mission overseas. I'm sure, as many of you know, uh, Fellowship International is the missions department uh, for our fellowship Baptist churches across Canada, there are over just over 500 fellowship churches stretching from Prince Edward Island all the way out to Vancouver Island. Uh, and so, as a as a national uh, group of churches that covenant that fellowship together, uh, we are the mission department that serves you uh, in the area of reaching out ac- across cultural barriers to the ends of the earth. Um, there are uh, f- our churches are, are split up into five different regions. Uh, across the country from Fellowship Pacific all the way out to the Atlantic provinces. Uh, and obviously Snowden is part of our Feb Central region, our uh, Ontario and English-speaking Quebec churches. Um, this morning as we get started, one last thing I want to say to you was just to bring greetings to you from our National Fellowship Office in Guelph. Obviously, as Jordan mentioned, there will be a number of us here tonight at 7 o'clock for uh, as, uh, the finale to Fellowship Sunday to share about what is happening uh, in the National Fellowship across our, our countries and around the world. Uh, and so it's a great opportunity. We just want to, I just want to bring greetings f- to you, uh, particularly as a congregation from our staff, as one of our churches that we care deeply about. I also want to uh, offer a deep uh, thank you for your ongoing support of Guy Leduc, who is serving in, in France uh, as a Fellowship International, a Fellowship International Missionary. I first met Guy in 1998. Uh, I was fresh out of Bible college and was considering a short-term missions trip to Turkey uh, with several of my friends, uh, and we had no idea. I didn't, couldn't even find Turkey on the map. Um, they didn't teach me that in Bible college. But uh, so it was, you know, we just didn't know what to do or where to go, and, and the fellowship directed us to Guy, and Guy was home on home assignment in Ontario, and he came and spoke to us. And um, if you know Guy, it's hard to meet him and not remember it. He's very memorable. He's, uh, he's a unique personality, and we just enjoyed time together, and he really uh, inspired us to go to Turkey. 
So we did for six weeks in 98 and had the chance to serve with him a little bit uh, in Istanbul when we were there, when he was still living there. Uh, and then uh, that th- six-week trip turned into three more, which turned into five years of living in Turkey. And so uh, I just have great affection for Guy, uh, appreciate him. And the years that we have uh, been in Turkey together for years of serving in the mission together, we've crossed paths. That he's, yeah, his ministry, though it hasn't had any direct relation to me, has had an impact on me. And I thank you as a church for partnering with him, for encouraging him, and for praying for him as he serves God in a place uh, that desperately needs to hear the gospel and be mobilized for his mission. Well, as we enter into this passage that was read for us this morning, uh, I just want to give us a little bit of context uh, to where we're going. So there's lots that's been happening from the end of, of the Gospels into the book of Acts, there's so much that's been happening. I just want to give us a quick background. I'm sure most of you know this, but just to help us get our minds uh, reoriented to the, to the context. Uh, as many of you know, the city of Jerusalem has just gone through the turmoil of Jesus' uh, trial and crucifixion, which has uh, led then to his rising from the dead miraculously uh, and proving that he indeed is the Son of God and providing not only conquering death, but paying the penalty for our sins and providing atonement, justification for us before God, providing us an opportunity to have a relationship with our Creator and receive uh, true acceptance, love, security, and significance. After the resurrection, Jesus reveals himself to the apostles and a few others before giving his final words, Matthew 28, Acts 1, and then ascending into heaven. And then he sends the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 to his followers, and the church truly begins to grow and begins to move. And just before the passage uh, that was read for you that we're going to look at this morning uh, uh, is to know that the apostles have been sharing about Jesus already in the temple, have gone to the place, the center of religious life in the city, have gone into that place uh, uh, that is overseen by the religious authorities, these same people who put Jesus to death. They go to the temple and they begin preaching about Jesus. And then they are gathered together and brought before the high council and told not to talk about Jesus, they're arrested and put in prison. And miraculously, they're released from prison by God and commanded by the Spirit to go back and continue preaching in the temple. And they do. And they begin preaching again in the temple, and they're arrested again and brought before the high council, which is where we pick up in Acts 5.27. There are a number of verses here, and we don't have time to work through all of it. Uh, There's a lot here. A lot of um, unique nuances. But I th- what I'd like to do in our, in our time together this morning as I've read these verses and contemplated them over a number of years is to ask the question that can easily come to mind as we look at these verses and think about what, these, uh, what the apostles went through and what they go through further down the road and what happens to the church as it begins to move out uh, to the ends of the earth. Is to ask that question, is Jesus worth it? When Sarah and I went to Turkey as missionaries, I think the greatest lesson we learned together was really to understand at a deeper level the cost of following Jesus. As we read through uh, this passage and others like it in the Bible, as we lived our lives in a Muslim country, uh, and as we uh, uh, worked in in partnership with other believers, uh, expats, missionaries, and national believers, this idea of understanding the cost of of following Christ came more and more to the forefront. For those who don't know, Turkey um, has a population of about 75 to 78 million people. 
It's geographically located, as you can see, just at the end of Europe, beginning of Asia, uh, connecting to the Middle East, connecting to Central Asia. Uh, it is a Muslim country. 99.8% of the population is considered Muslim. Um, yeah, the vast majority might say they're, they're nominal, but there's an expression in Turkey, in Turkey to, that, and that is, to be Turk is to be Muslim. So they believe it's not just a, a faith that they are part of, it's who they are, ethnically who they are. So everyone you meet, if they're a Turkish uh, ethnicity, will say to you that I'm a Muslim. Uh, and so in a country like that, as missionaries, the, the, on average day, running into another believer is something that you don't happen into. You, it's intentional. It's a work of God to meet somebody who is a believer. And while we were there, uh, we discovered very clearly that the culture is resistant to the gospel. And so though persecution doesn't happen at all levels, all the time, physically in particular, the, the, the culture is resistant and at times hostile to the gospel. While we were in Turkey, we met a family, the Maddox family, who are Americans, American missionaries living in the eastern part of Turkey in a province called Diyarbakir. Uh, I'm sure none of you have heard of it, but it is uh, on the eastern part, right on the border of Syria. Uh, it is a province that uh, uh, is where the, predominant, uh, num- uh, where the most number of Kurds live in the country. And for those who don't know, there's an ongoing um, conflict in Turkey uh, with Kurdish people. Uh, a separatist movement has started to create a, 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 um, a sovereign state of Kurdistan for Kurdish people that will, would hive off a chunk of Turkey, Iran, uh, Iraq, and, and, and potentially Syria. And so there is a group working within Turkey to, to create this new state. And the Turkish government, Turkish people, are, are vehemently opposed to it, which has caused a lot of conflict, a lot of violence, and a lot of loss of life. So Diyarbakir is right in the center of this. It's also a very impoverished country, uh, impoverished province. Uh, it's not an easy place to live. It's not an easy place to bring up a family. Uh, Christians, particularly Western Christians, are, are easily met with suspicion, looked down on, and even despised. So not a, 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 not a place that you or I might choose to go to uh, as a place of comfort and ease. But the Maddox family moved there over a decade ago, <clears throat> And when someone was talking to them about the great sacrifice of leaving the comfort and security of their home in the U.S. for D.R. Barker and saying, you know, wow, what an amazing thing you've done. I remember Jerry's response. <clears throat> he said, when we became Christians, we gave our lives to Christ. We sacrificed them. And they're his to spend as he sees fit. And so our role is to be obedient. And if he wants us in the States or he wants us in D.R. Barker, makes no difference to us. We just want to serve him. And that's one of the first things that we pick up, I think, in this passage in Acts 5, is the apostles' obedience to Christ. In verse 17 to 21, we read you know, about their initial imprisonment, that the high priests and the officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. This is verse 17 to 21. Uh, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles returned to the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. And then as we skip down to 27 to 32, it reads, Then they brought the apostles, the, the, um, the, the soldiers, brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them again. We gave you strict orders, never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. 
But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. These verses reveal to us this life of submission to Christ, a life of obeying him, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of of conflict, confrontation, challenges. That these apostles took Christ's commission to them in in Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8 to heart, that they understood what Jesus wanted from them. He had modeled for them what it meant to serve, what it meant to, to be his follower. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, they worked that out to be his witnesses. This event shows us the apostles' submission to Christ, submission to living for him and for his will and not their own, despite the fact that it was not easy, despite the fact that it was not popular, brought them into direct conflict with religious authorities, and that it was costly. The initial cost for us in following Christ, in coming to a relation with God through him, is to submit our lives. Right? It's a giving up. So I think often we love to talk about the fact that, <clears throat> that salvation is free. And it is free. You and I cannot earn it. There's nothing we can do to get it. But in coming into relationship with God, he asks for all of us. He asks us to lay down our lives, to put, to put away the old self, to put on the new self, to put on Christ, to be his. To live our lives for a new reason to to place an authority in our lives which is him we he asked us to give up our living for ourselves to live for for him to be on mission with him to be agents of reconciliation to see our lives changed from a me-centered existence to a christ-centered one we often talk about that like who's on the throne of my life and that really is somewhat cliche but encompass uh, encapsulates it so well that i don't live to glorify myself. I live to glorify God. And as we continue to unpack what does it mean to glorify God, we understand it, it means to live out a life of service that brings glory to God, that draws other people into relationship with him, that is on mission, that is centered on what, is, what God is passionate about, which is to see others not perish, but to come into relationship with him. This life of submission reveals itself in obedience. When we submit our lives to Christ, what, how people see that, how they know that that's true, is that we are obedient to what Christ wants us to do. It shows, and obedience shows itself in being out on mission with God, proclaiming him boldly, communicating him, caring for others, and drawing people into that same, as John Piper talks about, white-hot, passionate worship of God that we have. So, we exist as worshipers to draw others in to become worshipers of God. Paul says in Philippians 1, 20 to 21, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. The cost is submission, evidenced in obedience. And in our obedience, 
as we come into relationship with Christ as our Savior and our Lord and come into a position of submission, obediently following Christ into an ever-deepening relationship with our Heavenly Father and out sharing the reality of salvation in Christ to the rest of the world, we will find that we are at odds with the world around us. We will find that we are at odds with the culture around us that does not honor Christ as Lord and Savior. As we do this, we will find that we, um, our allegiance to Christ is challenged, that our, um, our position it comes in, into direct opposition with, with the world. And it will lead us to varying levels of persecution. Uh, as our brother prayed this morning for the persecuted church, we just know that this is true. Whether we physically see it today in Montreal, whether we see it today in this country, it is happening all the time. And in fact, the Bible makes it pretty clear that persecution is normal. It's not an abnormal, abnormality, it's a normality. As we follow Jesus, was Jesus persecuted? Absolutely. And Jesus tells us, as so we'll talk about later on, that this is a normal this is normal. If they persecute, you're no greater than the master. If they persecute him, they'll persecute you. And this is what the apostles discovered as they were obedient to Christ's commission to them to be witnesses and to continue to be obedient to Christ's leading through the Holy Spirit. I, I think every time I read through the book of Acts, there's so many amazing things, but this is one of those moments that's, that's phenomenal. It's challenging. Because here are men that live through the horrific moments of, of, of Christ's um, uh, arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. They saw the horrors of real persecution, of suffering, of martyrdom. And as they move out in, in, in the, the atmosphere of Jerusalem at that time, knowing that they're prime targets, uh, they're not under the radar, they're going right out in the open, that they become easy targets. And yet, they go. They go to the temple. They go to the center of life in Jerusalem. They go to the place where they will easily be seen, where they be seen by the wrong people or seemingly the wrong people. They will be in that place where those who conspired to kill Jesus will see them, will be able to easily identify them, and this will happen. Exactly this will happen. They are arrested. They are um, uh, brought before the religious authorities that they are, all, in a sense, almost put on trial. Um, and their lives are put in jeopardy. In this account, we see not only are they given a, a so they're imprisoned, this is their sort of punishment, and hopefully uh, we'll teach them not to do this again, but they are obedient. When, when they're released miraculous from jail, they go back, continue to preach in the temple. And they could have listened to men, they could have been quiet, they could have been less bold, they could have said, let's leave Jerusalem where it's really hot, where it's, you know, where, where, where we're more likely to be seen. Let's go elsewhere, where no one will care, where, where no one will really find us and preach about Jesus. No, they are obedient. Obedient to the point of persecution. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, after Peter's spoken to the high council and boldly told them that they're the ones who crucified Jesus, when they heard this, verse 33 says, the council was furious and decided to kill them. We see that initially the council wanted to have them killed. The reaction to the gospel was so strong. Persecution could have worked itself out into the, the apostles in that, that day losing their lives for the gospel. Eventually, though, uh, Gamaliel reasons with the council to say, really, no, 
maybe you don't want their blood on your hands. Just let's leave it for now, because if it's of God, really, you can't stop it anyway. But in verse 40, we see, you know, that, that Gamaliel is able to soothe their anger, but yet they're not done with these men. And so as they bring the apostles back in, they bring them in with the, the, with the command again not to, not to preach in his name, not to, to teach about Jesus. And then they have them flogged, beaten, whipped for following Jesus, for preaching his name. The apostles' obedience to Christ and the Spirit leads them to be persecuted. Obedience is evidence of submission, and obedience leads us into persecution. While we were serving in Turkey, we developed a great relationship with lots of people, one of them being uh, a Turkish brother named Camille, uh, became a good friend of ours. Uh, he was from Adana in the, in the southeast of the country, and he was uh, an English teacher, so he, his English was really great, so he translated a lot for us as we had uh, groups coming in from, from uh, English-speaking countries. And he shared his faith, and we worked at the Creative Arts Outreach Ministry and did a lot of open-air evangelism through music and creative arts uh, all over the country. And he did a lot of, uh, as he translated, also shared his, his story, his testimony. Um, <coughs> Uh, and he shared it as well in his own hometown where he was an elder in his church. And he knew that being a Christian in Turkey is not easy, especially a, a Christian who's converted out of Islam. Uh, Turks who, who obviously, if they're, if they're Turkish uh, ethnicity, who convert out of, Christ, out of Islam into Christianity, the, the response to that can be is varied from mild to extreme. But quite often it, it can mean being ostracized, cut off from your family at bare minimum. And Camille was no different. He had um, been through, uh, experienced the marginalization, the mistreatment, and even malignment of fellow uh, countrymen, of his neighbors, and even his family, who really wanted nothing to do with him. He knew the risks of being a believer in, in Turkey, but he remained obedient. And as an elder in his church, he had different responsibilities, and so on a given Sunday a morning, he was responsible to open and close the church, and three young men came to visit the church, uh, and they wanted to speak to a leader. And so Camille was, was on for that morning, and he spoke with them before the service, after the service, and, and they claimed to want to know more about Christianity. And so Camille was sharing with them, and it ended up that he was the last one at the church, and these men still were wanting to speak to him, and eventually he really felt like he needed to close, he needed to move them out. And as he was closing the church all alone, these three men grabbed him, attacked him, beat him viciously, and threatened to kill him if he didn't um, revert to Islam. Camille refused, uh, and the men continued to beat him, but didn't kill him. Camille's life was spared that day, and uh, he spent many, um, many months in hospital recuperating from his injuries. And it was tragic, it was shocking. And easily, the, the question that comes to our lips again is, is Jesus worth it? That's a lot to suffer. After that attack, Camille said that he was going to keep going. I remember Camille sharing this story with, with a number of people, and, and to see the resolve in him to say, I will not be quiet. I won't hide. Uh, he knew in a very real way what the physical cost of following Jesus could be uh, in that country. And he said to us, Jesus is worth it. Peter writes in 1 Peter three thirteen to 15, Who will want to harm you if you are eager 
to do good. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Finally, as we live in submitted obedience to Christ, the cost of following him could easily be our lives here on earth. And the apostles in this instance were uh, in danger of losing their lives, but were spared. But eventually, eventually most of them paid the ultimate sacrifice for following Jesus and became martyrs. In 2007, Sarah and I were in the... uh, an eastern uh, province of Turkey called Malatya, a small province, uh, very uh, uh, rural, agricultural, very conservative. Um, yeah, a tough place to, uh, to plant a church. <clears throat> but there was a small church in the, in the capital of that province, a church of 25 Turks led by a, a, a Turkish pastor. Uh, and we were with them on, on Easter Sunday in 2007, celebrating the resurrection. And that morning, this church of 25 believers invited 25 other people from the community to come out. So a church of 25 doubles in size on Sunday morning. 25 people who've maybe heard the gospel on some different level, but have never been to church, have never really heard uh, the gospel proclaimed in a powerful way. And here they were, Sunday morning, and we had the chance to be there for that. This church rents a room in a hotel, uh, a um, banquet room to host the, the service. They have a meal together. It's a huge service. And we were just excited, a mountaintop moment to be there, to hear the gospel proclaimed, to, to see Turkish believers uh, grabbing hold of, uh, of the gospel and sharing it with, with their neighbors and getting to be there. Ten days later, I was in Beirut, Lebanon, <clears throat> uh, on a creative arts uh, tour when I got the call that three men from that church had just been murdered. The pastor, um, Nejati, a German missionary, Tilman, and a, a Turkish elder, Ur, were meeting with some young men in their church offices. Uh, these men had come under the pretext of wanting to study the scriptures, had met with them numerous times, and on this morning, this fateful morning in April, these young men locked the doors to the offices, tied these three men up, tortured them, and then murdered them. Why? Because they were Christians. Because they followed Jesus. Because they refused to be quiet. Because they refused to be afraid and hide. Najati, Ur, and Tilman were believers that submitted their lives to Christ and refused to be controlled by fear. But instead decided to trust in Jesus. So again, when this happened, this was a tragic moment in in the the life of what is a small group of believers in Turkey. Of a population of just over 75 million, there are about six to 7,000 Turkish believers. It's a tiny church. When something happens, the ripple is huge. As we sat around and, and grieved, the question that easily came to our lips is, is Jesus worth it? to suffer, and to die. Tillman's wife, Suzanne, this is the German missionary, went on a national uh, news station shortly after the murders 
And in an interview with, a, with a, a Turkish journalist, she forgave these men publicly for killing her husband. And she reiterated her commitment to stay in Malatya. And she lives there today with her children. She continues to be part of the church in that city and to reach out with the gospel. Of course, it's not been easy. Uh, how could it be? But Suzanne would say, Jesus is worth it. The point of all this that I'm sharing with you this morning is not that we need to suffer for the gospel, that we need to suffer for our faith. The point is that being a Christian brings us to a place of sacrifice. Being a follower of Jesus requires our submission, requires us to give up. So already there's a cost. Is there a cost further down the road? You and I don't know that for sure, but, but we do know that following Jesus brings us into places of persecution. Following Jesus means choosing to live a righteous life, to giving our lives over to him, to sharing his love, to sharing the gospel with the world, and it leads us to struggle. It leads us to persecution, and it will lead us to suffering. There's all sorts of different suffering. You don't have to be whipped. Paul talks about you know how he... He, his suffering for the churches. Night and day, being concerned for, being, uh, his heart being burdened for those churches, the suffering for the gospel on so many different levels. But Jesus confirms for us that persecution is normal. In John 15, 20, 21, as he's speaking to his, uh, his disciples before he's, his arrest, he says, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So this word that Jesus gives them lives itself out already in Acts 5. But not just for the disciples, not just for the apostles, but for us as well, that we are not greater than the master. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us. So there's a cost in following Christ. And if this passage, and many like it, prompt us to ask, is Jesus worth it? It also answers it in resounding fashion. In verse 41 and 42, the apostles leave the high council after being severely beaten, and they rejoice. Take a moment, just as we let that sink in. They were beaten, and they rejoiced. I don't, I don't know about you, but after, every time I read this, I have to stop here because that is not what I think would be my natural reaction, to rejoice. What did they say? They rejoiced in their suffering because they had been counted worthy to be treated just like Jesus, to suffer for his sake. And every day, they continued to preach and teach. Every day, they continued to preach and teach. No fear. They didn't stop. They were not intimidated. They didn't fall away. What do they share? What do they show us here? They believe that Jesus is worth it. Worth giving up their lives for? Worth being outcast for? Worth putting themselves in, in crosshairs? Worth sharing about? Worth obeying? Worth suffering for? And eventually they show that, that, that they believe Christ was worth dying for. Many around the world are, re- are experiencing the very real cost of falling Christ in Turkey, in Iran, in North Korea, 
all over the world, believers are persecuted for being followers of Jesus. And they're answering this question that is Jesus worth it with their lives, believing that he is. I think it's important that we ask this question. I think it's important that we as believers on a regular basis look in the mirror and ask ourselves, is, is it worth it? Is he worth it? I can't answer the question for you, but I think that we need to do that. But when we're doing that, I think it's important for us to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus tells us in, in or we are told in the, in the Bible who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is merciful, that he is the savior of the world, that he is Lord over all. He's the only way to God, that he's our mediator before God, that he judges the world. This is who Jesus is. So is Jesus worth following? He's worth following for these reasons. Is he worth submitting my life to? Yes, for these reasons, because he is God, Lord over all. That he has saved us, made way for us. That he mediates before us, before God. And that ultimately he will judge the world. He is Lord over all things. He is worth worshiping. He is worth following. He is worth giving our lives to. And not only is he worth it from that, but also look at what he has done for us. And this is quick. This is very abbreviated. Uh, you know, you, you should take, we should take the time to read through and be reminded of all that it is that God has done for us. Jesus has, forgive, has given us, provided us forgiveness of sins when he died in, on the cross and, was, and rose again. That he's provided reconciliation, atonement, justification for us. And not only do we come into relationship with God kind of meager on our, our knees, even though it's a proper mode, But Jesus brings us into a unique relationship with God as children, adopted children, into God's family as full sons and daughters, full rights. What does Paul say in Romans 8? That we come in not only as heirs of God, but joint heirs with Christ. This is what Jesus has provided for us. Freedom from the bondage of sin. It's an amazing picture. How many times have you met with people who you you can see here in their lives that they are slaves? In bondage, they are not free, but Jesus sets us free. Paul paints this beautiful picture in Romans 6 about our freedom in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free, no longer bound in these chains, but are set free. And we're not only free from sin, we are free to love and worship and glorify God. Jesus has given us new life now. What did Jesus say? He came to give us that life and more abundantly. We have that now. The presence of God is with us through the Holy Spirit. We have new life. And we have it for eternity as well. We have hope and we have security. Not only in our identity of who we are. It's amazing. Most people are struggling their lives in their own identity to know who they are. Am I enough? Am I loved? We have that security. God loves us. It's not dependent on what you do today or do tomorrow, what you've done yesterday. God loves you in Christ. As much today as he will tomorrow, fully. And that's secure. Your identity is secure. Your relationship with God is secure. What does Paul say in Romans 8? There is nothing 
that can separate us from the love of God. We're secure. What do we have to fear? So as we, as I wrap up this morning, as we conclude, as we prepare to head out the doors to our lives, I want us to ask ourselves, is Jesus worth sacrificing for? Is he worth sacrificing my wants, my desires? Is he worth making first in my life, putting myself, pushing myself out on a regular basis, setting myself up second and making him first? Is he worth it? Is he worth setting aside my personal dreams for and saying, no, his will be done, not mine? Is he worth the hassle I go, I'll go through as I struggle to live for him? Because you and I both know it's not easy. It's difficult. We're tempted at every corner, and the temptation is often not always the big thing. It's a small thing just to relax, to say, you know, yeah, that would be great, but I'm tired. I want. I need. Is he worth the struggle to live, to make him first, to live for him in a place, in a culture that's at odds with what we believe, with, what, with, with kingdom values, kingdom beliefs? Is Jesus worth the risk? And the risk is on so many different levels. Is he worth risking the surrendering of your finances, of exposing yourself as a Christian to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family? Is he worth the risk of sharing your story, actually opening up, telling somebody what Jesus has done for you, how he's met your deep needs, revealing to people your own brokenness, entering into a place of vulnerability, and saying, yeah, I'm willing to do that because Jesus is worth it. Is he worth it? Is he worth introducing someone to him of taking that step, of working that through? Because it's really just one thing. It's, it's a process of stepping out, of being intentional, of, of working hard, and potentially being rejected or worse. Is he worth the risk of inviting somebody to church? Is he worth the risk of stepping out, of being bold, of being marginalized, of being persecuted is he worth it i met a, a man named sam rotman that's his picture there in turkey he was giving a a concert he's a juilliard trained pianist amazing pianist amazing man he's the son of jewish parents who escaped from czechoslovakia in the second world war um, escaped from hitler when they came to the u.s they were fiercely Jewish, and imprinted on their son, on Sam, that he is a Jew first and foremost. When he went to Juilliard to train as a pianist, he met believers and eventually committed his life to Christ. When he told his parents, they disowned him. At his concert in Istanbul, as he shared his story, he said to us, you know, on my deathbed, my father refused to acknowledge me. I have no son. Sam's powerful statement in the midst of that heart-wrenching story of being forgotten by his father, being cut off, of not being allowed to come home. He said, uh, I gave my life to Christ and I lost my father. But Jesus is worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, for your love for us expressed in his coming, 
his sacrifice to bring you glory and to draw us into relationship with you, to make a way. Father, I'm grateful for the love that you have extended to us. And Father, we, we need to be reminded on a regular basis of who you are, of what you have done for us, who Jesus is, and what it is that you've asked from us in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would be, through your Holy Spirit, speaking into our lives, into our hearts. I don't know what it is that you need to to communicate to each of us, but you have something that you want to communicate to us as you relate to us individually, personally, in our walk with you. Father, I pray that you would continue to remind us that, that, that you have placed all things under Christ, that he is now Lord of all things, that our responsibility is to... to to submit ourselves to him, to his lordship, and to be obedient to the commands that he's given us, first and foremost, to love you and to move out to be your witnesses, your messengers, your ambassadors of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you would move us through your spirit to, to answer that question, is Jesus worth it? Would you remind us of who you are, what you have, what Christ has done for us, how he's met us in our lives. And would you, would you encourage us, convict us, and move us to places of worship and out to the world to be public worshipers of you who draw attention and glory to your name and move others to a place of reconciliation and, and healing in a relationship with you through Christ. Father, I pray that you would take us and use us for your glory moving us to, to, to a willing, willingly uh, submissive attitude and posture for your name's sake. Amen.